Welcome once again to Legacy Church. If we have not yet met, my name is Tony, and I'm one of the assistant pastors here at Legacy, and we're so glad and we're grateful that you chose to spend this uh, spring forward Sunday morning with us. Any parent out there just exhausted? All right, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. You know, it was so funny, on my way into church, uh, I ran into Joseph and Marcy Cabert, like, at a stoplight. We kind of looked at each other, and it was like this parent code of, like, we made it, you know? Uh, and, and if you're a parent, you get it. If you're a grandparent, you, you, you get it, all right? Uh, God bless the time change. Anyway, um, hey, if you are new here, if this is your first time today, uh, we're so grateful that you came to be our guest. You're not just a visitor. You are a guest here at Legacy, and we hope to treat you as such. Um, we would love to get connected with you. When you get a moment in the seat in front of you, there is a connect card. Would you mind filling that out? When you get a moment, you can either drop that off in the offering baskets when those are passed by, or after the service, you can swing by the welcome desk, and you can exchange that Connect card for a free coffee. We would just want to get to know you, follow up with you, see how we can serve you. For the rest of you guys, thank you so much again for being here. I have two kind of major announcements for us this morning, and that is uh, the week of spring break, which uh, I believe is the week of March 22nd. Uh, our offices will be closed, but that Tuesday, we are wanting to do phase two of our gym floor project. We are redoing our gym floors. We're, um, I should just say we're repolishing them, cleaning them and repolishing them. So we need some volunteers. We've actually shifted the time. Check that out in your bulletin. It's longer during the day. It's actually in the evening. So from five to 10 o'clock for all you night owls or those of you that are working still, we would love some help. We need 10 to 15 people to volunteer that time slot. If you'd like to sign up or for more information, swing by the Welcome Center after the service today, and we'd love to get you signed up to come and help us with that project. We're going to take advantage of the fact that there's no youth that Wednesday night um, so that the floors can cure, uh, can cure. So by the way, youth, spring break, no youth on Wednesday night. The other big thing, and I'm really excited about it, and uh, coming up on the 15th, we're going to kind of make a big deal about it, and Pastor Ralph talked about this last week, and that is we are preparing for two services on Easter. The idea behind this is we want to make sure that you mark your calendars that there are service time changes. Our service is not going to be at 10 o'clock. There's going to be one at 9.30 and another one at 11. Two identical services. The idea is that you attend one and that you serve one. Even even if you're not currently on a team, we need you to help out in some sort of fashion during that Easter weekend. So today, after the service, swing by the Welcome Center. If you've never served in kids' church, if you've never been an usher, if you've never been a greeter, whatever team, it's okay. You don't have to commit for the rest of your life. We just need you to sign up at least for Easter, and then hopefully we'll get you on the hook. But attend one, serve one. That's the logistical part of it, but what I wanted to do as well, I'll take this moment to encourage you as a congregation, for all of us, you know, studies show that there is at least 8 to 15 people in our lives that you and I can influence for Jesus. So I want you to begin to think about who those 8 to 15 people are in your life, 
so that you can begin to pray for them, you can know them by name, and you can invite them to Easter. We're going to believe that Easter is not just a celebration for us, but it's a great opportunity for Jesus to show up in people's lives that need him. Because guess what, guys? We are the carriers of the best message that this world has ever heard, and that is that Jesus is no longer dead. He is alive, and he's active in our lives today. So be thinking about who you're going to invite to Easter and what area you're going to serve in. With that, I'll go ahead and ask the ushers to come forward. We're going to go ahead and take our tithes and our offering. This morning's a special morning because uh, while we're giving of our tithes and offerings, you're going to get to see a video from uh, the organization that we are choosing to support this month. The cool thing about Legacy is when you give to Legacy, what we like to say is that when you give to Legacy, you're giving through Legacy. A portion of everything that comes in every month, we send out the doors, whether it's to missionaries or to local uh, organizations. And this month, we are sponsoring the Gideons. And so you'll get to see a video of what the Gideons are all about. They've also got a table out uh, in the lobby uh, this weekend. Feel free to swing by for more information. But let's go ahead and bow our heads and pray. Jesus, we thank you because as we just sang, you are faithful. And I'm personally so grateful because your provision in my life has gone beyond monetary value. God, you provide for me emotionally. You provide for all of us spiritually, physically, mentally. And God, you also are the one that owns and has created everything, including the checks that we receive week in and week out, God. We're grateful because you're the ruler and the king of all of these things. With that in mind, God, today we are simply taking a step of faith and saying that we trust you in all of the areas of our lives, including our finances. We know, God, that you can do exceedingly abundantly above all we can ask or even imagine with what we give back to you, Lord. And Lord, I also ask that you help us to be good stewards of even what we retain and how we use that. May it be honoring to you, God. I pray, God, that your gospel message will continue to be spread around the world, God, as you continue to fund missions, as you continue to fund your message. God, let nothing stop people getting to hear the greatest news that this world has ever heard. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's go ahead and give as we watch this video. Amen. How many have read their Bible in the hotel room thanks to the Gideons? Let's give them a hand this morning. <laughs> Hallelujah. Every now and then you might forget your Bible on your travels. And I'll tell you one of the toughest things that are for business people who travel to keep their moral center. It's very difficult. And so I'm so thankful for what the Gideons have done over the years that there's that Bible in that drawer. And I pray that we can help them keep that up. Amen. Amen. Well, bless you for your donations and giving to them a legacy will be giving them an offering at the end of this month. They are our ones we are sponsoring. Well, special papal dispensation for getting up an hour early this morning and being here in the house of the Lord. It reminded me of a story of a, a mother that talked to me about this last year. She shook her son and said, you've got to get up for church. She says, I don't want to get up for church. She says, you've got to get up for church. She says, I don't want to. She says, why don't you want to? She goes, he goes, well, I'm tired for one thing and I'm wore out, but people just don't seem to appreciate or like me. She says, son, you got to get up for church. He goes, why do I have to get up for church? She says, son, you're the pastor. <laughs> so anyway, anyway. 
<laughs> Turn with me this morning to the book of John, uh, chapter 13. Susie didn't have to say that to me this morning because you all love me, don't you? You're all sweet to me, and I feel that. Oh, but, uh, I, <laughs> I wasn't thinking you were going to applaud, but thank you. Um, I tell you, it is reciprocal. Susie and I just pinch ourselves with how blessed we are with the people of God he's let us do life with. And I know Susie pinches me a lot. Anyway, John 13, beginning in verse 1, we are in the middle of a, a message called the royal robe of Jesus. And this message is titled Servant Leaders. And uh, in John 13, beginning in verse 1, one of the great stories of Jesus one of his last object lessons that he ever taught his disciples before the crucifixion was this one. Before the Passover, and Passover was the celebration where Jesus is going to be crucified as the Lamb of God, which takes away the sins of the world. Before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and to return to his Father. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. It was time for supper, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything, and that he had come from God and would return to God. Jesus is talking about himself there, not Judas. So he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with a towel he had around him. And then if you'll skip to verse 15, it says where Jesus came back and he told his disciples after he changed, he says, I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. Could we pray over this this morning? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the love that you have heaped upon us, for how you have served us, even while we were yet your enemies. God, you loved us and called us to yourself. We did not choose you. <laughs> you first chose us. We did not first love you, Father, but you first. While we were yet in our own sins and depression and darkness, Father, you shined right through that and you loved us first. And for that, we are so grateful this morning. You are truly a good, good Father. This morning, Father, quicken this message to our hearts and lives that we might be little Jesuses in our world today. In Jesus' name we pray, and everybody said, amen, amen and amen. Well, when we talk about the royal robe, and um, we're going to talk today about being a servant leader, I, I told you that I did a, a biblical search on what the robe of Jesus looked like. And kings wore purple or blue, and uh, we talked about this being the real robe of Jesus. It's the servant leader. Jesus was the f first and best. Uh, you could argue in the world, but I don't think you have to argue in church that he was the greatest leader that has ever lived. We talked about the great leaders of the world who have gone on. And Caesar no longer has a kingdom. Napoleon no longer has an empire. But Jesus is the king of a kingdom that will never be shaken. Well, Susie kept asking me, you need to put on the robe, you need to put on the, the apron. And I kept saying, no. And 
you know, I realized it's kind of humbling. You know, this isn't the fanciest apron I could put on. I wanted to put on the ones from Africa because I, I remember seeing kings of tribes wear those, you know. And, but I realized God wanted me to put this one on. And it's humbling. Come on, Susie girl. <laughs> Since it's your idea, you help me out. Don't tie it too tight because it'll make me look overweight. <laughs> Was my mic on? What? <laughs> oh, shoot. Uh, you, Alan, you're supposed to catch that and mute it right before I say something like that. Hmm. One of the things that is counterintuitive about being a servant and being a leader who's a servant is the joy it can bring your life. Jesus says, I come to hmm, make wise the simple and make the simple wise. And there's wisdom of the world that seems so smart, and yet it doesn't turn out to be as smart as it sounds or looks. And then there's Jesus who says, be last and you'll be first. Give it up and you'll gain it. And it just is counterintuitive. And one of the counterintuitive things about being a servant is that it's not going to have any rewards in it. It's more rewarding to receive than to give. But Jesus says it's more blessed to give than it is to receive and it's hard to believe that when you're younger as you get older you start to catch on a little more I would pray that that's part of Christian maturity is we realize the blessing and giving at every level and Jesus in the Bible in the book of John earlier is on a journey and he's very tired and he's thirsty and he's hungry and he comes to this well and he sits down and sends the disciples into town to get bread Meanwhile, a lady comes out with a water pitcher, maybe on her head, like they, you see in the Middle East, and she goes to drop it down, and Jesus says, hey, can I have some of that water? And she looks at him, and in those cultures, in that culture, men didn't talk to women, and Jewish people definitely didn't talk to Samaritan, and this was a Samaritan woman. He didn't talk to the Samaritans. And Jesus looks her in the eye and says, give me some water, and she says, why are you talking to me? And he said, if you knew who I was, you'd ask of me for living water. And then she goes into this natural, well, this well's been here since Jacob dug it. And, and Jesus says, no, no, I'm talking about something else. And he shares the life that he has that's living water in her life. And the light bulbs come on. And this woman had been married five times, was living with number six. And, and Jesus said, if you will drink of the water I have, you'll never thirst again. And her life just radically changes on that day. The Bible says she is so affirmed and loved on that day like never before that she leaves her pitcher at the well and runs into town and tells people, you got to see the guy I just met. And she gets the whole town to turn out to Jesus and he teaches them and shares his life with them and they accept and the whole town gets turned around because of this wayward woman who gets ministered by Jesus. Well, while she was running into town to get all the townspeople to understand this guy told me everything I did. I mean, Jesus said, you know, go get your husband. She says, I don't have one. He says, that's right. You've had five or four, I guess it is. And the number fifth one you're living with. And she couldn't believe he knew that about her. Jesus knows your name. He knows your deepest, darkest secrets, and he's still calling you by name. He's still looking you in the eye and talking to you when you don't think a God should ever talk to you. 
and he is a servant leader. He gets down on our level and looks us in the eye when we're in our lowest place and affirms us and tells us he loves us and lets us know what went on before doesn't matter to him anymore. In fact, what went on before drew him to you in your pain and hurt, just like the word we received from Anthony today. You're pure gold to Jesus. And while the lady was in town getting all her friends and even people who weren't her friends, the disciples come back with bread and they say, hey, Jesus, here's your meal. And he says, I'm not hungry anymore. I've had bread that you know not of. And they think, who fed him while we were gone? But when he served this lady, it satisfied his soul. And if serving can satisfy the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords soul, then you know when we serve the blessing. Well, we have another royal robe in our church. I wanted to share this one. I saw some of our volunteers wearing it this morning, and I went, oh, I got to get me one of those to show off. This is what, yeah, do you know what this is? Look at that. Legacy Kids. This is what you'll see on Sunday morning, and they're in there. They don't hear me bragging about them. But when you put this on, you're wearing the robe of Jesus. Amen. And some of you are going to have a chance to wear one of those for the first time on Easter and just do it for fun, do it for Jesus. And what's cool about it is you can still come to a church service after you serve a service. You can still be in here and, and receive from the Lord. But I'm believing that it will feed your soul to serve those kids or to greet at the door, to help us with parking or whatever it is God's laying on your heart. Just give us unto the Lord and watch him bless you. You'll have meat that McDonald's can never give you. Well, last week we touched on the first principles. Uh, God just exploded this story to me. Every phrase has a message. And last week we talked about the first two phrases in the first verse. Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave and God spoke to my heart that that's an urgent apprenticeship. Jesus knew he didn't have much time. So he quickly shared the wealth. He began to incorporate people into his life and began to share his life at every level with them. He even said to his disciples before he left, these things you see me do and greater shall you do. Boy, he apprenticed people and he didn't just leave nothing in his place. He left 12 men of God in his place and more who served him. And then it says he had loved his disciples during his ministry. We talked about as you serve and as you're in your ministry, and especially in church work, you can forget the most important thing. And the reason we do it is because we love people. I don't preach because I love hearing myself talk. In fact, it's quite the opposite. Most preachers don't like listening to themselves. So they have great compassion and mercy upon the people who have to. So bless you. God loves you, and out of that should come messages from my heart, because God loves you, wants to speak to your heart. So love is the key in our ministries, whatever that is. Love is the key for you being a parent. Love is the key for you being a leader who wants to serve the people at your work or in your school or in your community. Love drives servant leaders. We talked about the famous book, Good to Great, awesome book uh, for ex-former principal. I remember when I was a principal of the high school reading this book and thinking, boy, that is such a key, servant leaders. And it talked about the level five leader, the top leader, were the guys that so loved the company, so loved the people in the company that many of these CEOs during a downturn or during the transition would do away with their salary altogether and make a dollar for two years in a row, you know. And they, of course, they had a nest egg. 
but they sacrificed out of their love for the company, out of the love for the people that worked at that company. It was a reasonable service for them because they loved what they were doing. They loved who they were serving. Love will drive you to do radical things for Jesus. Well, then we go on to the, uh, what do I got here? This is the first verse before the Passover celebration. And it says here, part C of this verse, we didn't cover last week. It says, and now he loved them to the very end. You see, a servant leader will love them to the very end. You even look at later in the story, Jesus doesn't just leave their feet wet. He doesn't do the job halfway. He actually dries their feet and puts them back in their sandals, so to speak. Jesus finishes what he started. And he loved his disciples to the very end. Now, this is an amazing scripture when you think about um, the trauma that's going to hit all of them in just a few short hours. Peter says, Jesus, no matter what, I will never betray you. I will never forsake you. And Jesus says, you're going to do it three times before the rooster crows. And before morning, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter says, I will die before I do that. And yet the stress upon Peter's life was so great, the fear got so great, that he not only denied Jesus three times, but while Jesus was being persecuted and beaten and spit upon, Peter even swore the third time, blankety blank blank, I don't know this man. And it was just a little girl that scared him. This little girl from a village says, aren't you one of those Galileans? And he swore right in her face that he didn't know Jesus. Just then the rooster crowed. And one of the Gospels says that Jesus turned and caught Peter's eye at that moment. And Peter ran off weeping bitterly. Peter had trouble loving Jesus to the very end, but not Jesus. Even then, he still loved Peter. The other thing you realize is that when you're being beaten that severely and you're in that much pain, you'll turn on anybody. Humans will turn on anybody when it's hard enough and hurts enough. It would is very difficult, it would be very impossible for us to take the beating that Jesus took and still loved people to the very end. In fact, while he's on the cross, being beaten in horrific ways, being humiliated, hanging naked before a very prudish society in front of all his neighbors and friends, being spat on and called names. Now he's hanging on a crucifixion that is one of the most severe ways to die. And in the middle of all this, Jesus says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He loved us to the very end. Wow. Amazing. Vince Lombardi, the famous football coach back in the 50s, 60s, coached the Green Bay Backers to great success. Vince Lombardi says, fatigue makes cowards of us all. And Jesus was fatigued, but he was never cowardly. That is amazing. You see, a servant leader will finish the race. And I want to talk about that today, that it's very difficult to finish. It's an unusual, uncommon thing for people to finish a hard race. The quick, easy races, most people finish the 100-yard dash. 
doesn't mean you'll finish first. I never entered a 100-yard dash because I wasn't going to be that humiliated in front of the whole student body. But typically, you finish a 100-yard dash. The marathons now, they get a little tougher to finish. And most of life is a marathon, isn't it? The things that really matter, your career, which is secondary to your family, they're a marathon. Many of you mothers and fathers that got up this morning, holy cow, how many mornings are you going to have to wake yourself up to get your babies up and it, it's not over today. You'll have to do it tomorrow and the next day. And diapers just keep coming, don't they? It's a marathon. It's not a sprint. And to love your children through all of that, to love your spouses through all that, to love your job through all of that, very difficult to finish the race. And God's not calling all of you to stay in your job for 90 years. That's not necessarily what I'm talking about today because God does want to promote you. God does want to prosper you. And so he will move you from job to job. He doesn't necessarily want to move you from wife to wife or husband to husband, however. Jesus says this about servant leaders finishing the race. In Revelation 2.26, Jesus says, to all who are victorious, who obey me to the very end, to them I will make leaders over the nations. Pretty cool. If you want to be a leader, be consistently obedient to Jesus and don't quit. Typically, those who don't quit end up leading if there's any kind of character in you. God will give you a stick to to finish what you started, whether that's as a parent, whether that's as a spouse, whether that's going through college, whether that's finishing our high school career, whatever it is. God wants to give you the ability to finish the race, to love people through the end mainly. It's loving through the end that gets difficult. And we're tested in it at every turn. I was thinking about this, about going to the end with your friends and your family. To finish the race with friends and family gets difficult. Rick Warren says, stand by the people you love and those you lead. And he used the scripture, anyone who withholds kindness from a friend forsakes the fear of the Almighty. And I thought of the proverb that says, withhold not good from those to whom it is due and it's in the power of your life to love on them. Don't withhold. Judah Smith is one of the young up-and-coming preachers of your age, you young people. Uh, many of you, if you don't know Judah Smith, just Google him. He's a, he's a phenom. He's a wonderful young man. I, I knew his mom and dad. I still know his mom. His dad passed away. They're part of the MFI organization. So I've watched Judah from a distance and know of him. Well, he has taken over his father's church, and you know he's witnessed to Justin Bieber and got him actually to love Jesus. I mean, that right there is a, a, a testimony, you know. You don't... Uh, and you didn't get a rousing applause for Justin Bieber's salvation. <clears throat> but Judah has started to hobnob with the big-name Christian pastors, many of them. And he was being interviewed, and he teased about why they're, let, why they're slumming with him. He was very humble about it. But the guys he hangs with are just really super, super individuals. Not just great pastors, but they're neat people. And the interviewer was asking Judah Smith about this. And Judah says, influence or popularity or fame affects friendships. And if you're not intentional about it, you won't retain authentic, lifelong friends. 
When you get popular or famous or you become a leader of an organization, it's very important that you really intentionally ask yourself, Father, am I too good now for my friends? Am I, am I too good for my family? And I know that one of the hardest things in my life is to maintain constant relationships when I got really, really busy with a lot of responsibility and authority in my life and being a pastor didn't slow things down and I realized I have trouble maintaining a long-term loving relationship with Susie because I don't spend as much time as I can. We just had a discussion last night about me getting more intentional about setting aside time for my wife. And husbands, I know I'm not alone there. Wives, I know I'm not alone in that. You should have an intentional date night as often as you can and put it into the schedule. And I'm telling you to do what I don't do very well because I know it'll bless your marriage. And so Susie and I are in the middle even of dialoguing in this new season of our church growth and the new season of adding staff. It's gotten complicated again for me. And I realize, though, that if 20 years from now I still have some of you and have lost my wife, I haven't won. Right? And it doesn't mean I have to snob anybody or not love all of you. It just means that I have to get intentional about retaining those relationships that are still important. And men and women, watch yourselves that way. Even then, if you can hang your family together, you do have some long-term friends that you have to be intentional about as God brings you into leadership, as God brings you to that place of authority and responsibility is what it is. By maintaining your childhood friends that have still wanted to be your friend, they're still not taking more than they're giving. You know, you, you shouldn't always be around people that just want to take from you. You've got to guard your virtue. But if you find you have really good friends, then be intentional about still touching bases if you can. It's such a beautiful day now that we can Facebook, email, Instagram. It's a beautiful way to still stay in touch. I, I would have never written one letter hardly when I moved away from here back to my family. But once email started, I could write letters, and it, I don't know why I was so deficient in that area, but I was, and I still am to some degree. But when we can maintain those friends as leaders, it's one way a servant leader can stay grounded and stay humble and stay a servant leader. And again, you only have so much of virtue, only so many hours of a day. You've got to budget your time. You've got to budget your resources. Don't be foolish with wasting money or time. But find a way to stay humble and don't have throwaway friends because now you're successful. One of the, my favorite stories is hearing about a professional athlete that comes out of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and he makes millions of dollars, but he always goes back home and hangs out with the guys at the factory. I just love those stories. And they're still buddies, and they still you know, play horse with each other and talk and, and hang around. I just love when a guy becomes that famous, but he remembers where he came from. And he loves his friends, and his friends love him. And it's, it's just a neat story. It's, it's hard. It's a hard story. It's very few people can do it. But a true servant leader looks at that and asks the Lord to help him in that. Again, I, this isn't to lay guilt on you because if you have more than three friends, it's hard to maintain as much friendship with them as you all would like. So you just have to find those friends that don't beat you up if you can't spend every minute with them. Susie has a friend that they talk once a year and they're best friends every time they talk. She has two friends like that that don't expect her to reach out more than she reaches out to you and me. 
The other area that we can't quit in and we need to finish the race is with our own kids and grandkids. As a professional educator, I would watch parents come in and we would talk about how hard it is to raise kids. Uh, James Dobson, who's passed away now, but Focus on the Family, had a book that showed a parent from here down with a, I think it was like a purple heart, and it said, parenting isn't for cowards. And that is so true. It is so easy to quit on our children. Now, we don't necessarily kick them out of the house, but we emotionally disengage. We give up. It's very easy. Children wear us down. They outnumber us many times in the home. And they begin to wear us down, and finally... When I would see kids just running free, it was because a parent had quit the emotional trauma of trying to continually rein in their child. And it was just easier just to let them go. That's a type of not finishing the race. I don't see that around here. I see you parents aren't quitting. One of the things that I would, came to my mind every time a parent would talk to me was the Chinese drip torture. Are any of you familiar with that? It was the precursor to waterboarding, I guess. I don't know. Where the Chinese would just lay a guy on a, and I don't know if it's true, but it kind of makes sense, that they would lay him on a gurney and strap him down and then just have this water dripping on his forehead. Drip. 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 14 days later, it drove him crazy. You know, I mean, that little drip would finally win the day. And, and parents... It feels like sometimes every time you discipline your child, you're getting on him for the 43rd millionth time that you want to give up. But just be a Chinese drip torture. <laughs> just keep dripping on their forehead. And don't you go away. Just do not go away. Just do not give up. Do not quit. Just keep that little drip going right on their little brain. Just drip, drip. And you're not going away. And they know it. Finally, they'll give up. They will. Won't. Won't you, Marcy? You'll just finally say, all right, all right, I'll clean up my bedroom, Mom, you know. Don't quit on your kids. As bad as they act like they want you to, you all know you love those parents in your life that never gave up on you. Don't quit. And what God wants to tell you is his spirit wants to be in you and help you not quit emotionally on your children or your grandchildren to find a way to get back in the race and continue to finish the race. Don't go by what they're saying to you. Don't go by how they're acting. Have more faith than you have fear. Just faith it. Jesus, you said if I train up my child with a drip torture in a way they should go, they will not depart from it, Lord. That's a promise of the Lord. That when they get older, Lord, they'll come around. So I'm going to continue to train the child in the way they should go. That word train a child in the way they should go literally means to force them through narrow openings. Do not give them a ton of freedom in some areas. I mean, I'm not talking about being, I guess what I'm saying is reduce their choices down to only the right ones. Don't give them a bunch of choices that are wrong. They only have the right choices to choose from. And to train means to... Um, like put a bridle on a horse or to actually narrow the, the boards of their life so they have to walk a narrow way. That's the training that God wants you to do. Jesus says, don't walk the wide path that leads to destruction, but walk the narrow road that leads to life. And parents, I've seen it time and time again. Uh, Susie and I don't have children, but we've raised hundreds. And as a, a public educator, I had thousands of students as a coach, I'd spend more time sometimes with the kids than their parents did up in North Idaho. And they had good parents. 
that I've observed that as Christian parents or godly parents or moral parents raise their children narrow through their early years, the biggest problem the child has is they get to graduation and the doors of life open up and your kids freak out because now they have so many choices. And they don't know what to do. Should I be a doctor, a lawyer, a teacher, a parent? What should I? Yes. The world's your oyster because your parents forced you through a narrow opening. Now, here's the other area we don't quit in. Parents, nobody does it perfect. And I love the saying, there's a lot of slop in the system. I look in here and I see a ton of successful, wonderful adults that I would all call my friend. Of you wonderful, successful adults, raise your hand if you had two perfect parents who never made a mistake. Please raise your hand. We'd like you to write a book. I will personally pay for the publishing of that book. And look how you turned out. Look how you all turned out with really human parents. Keep that in mind as you're the parent that's screwing up. God allows there to be a lot of slop in the system and still turn out good kids. You can make a lot of mistakes, just be open and honest about it, and then just dive right back in and don't quit on them because you're failing. Don't quit on them because you've made mistakes. Just keep coming back, keep coming back, and don't quit. Finish the race. Grandparents and parents, don't ever quit praying for them in faith believing. No matter what they're doing. You know, I prayed the prayer that Jesus, the Bible says that God loved us and died for us while we were yet actually his enemy. Before we came to Christ, we were literally opposed to God, most of us. And we were enemies of God. We were like Peter, swearing at God and angry at God. And yet he died for us in the midst of everything that we were doing. Parents, have the same faith in your children, that God has given you those children as a gift. They're his kids. You just keep giving them back to him. You keep praying. I know it's easy for me to say because I don't have any kids. But just be encouraged in Jesus. Don't go by what they do or what they say. Go by what the word of God says. That children are a gift of the Lord. And Father, if I train them in the way they should go when they get older, they won't depart. My family literally saw my mom and dad do that. My mom and dad seemed to walk away from the Lord. And when they got older, they came back to the house of the Lord. So don't quit. You can and will outlast them with your love. Amen. That's part of being that servant leader. You parents are the greatest servant leaders this world will ever see. Lead them in your love and your determination. Lastly, I feel a word of the Lord for the last part of finish the race, and that's finish your marriage. This is an area that God wants to say, first off, there is therefore now no condemnation. If you've had five marriages, four marriages, if you're the woman at the well, Jesus didn't say, I'm sorry, kid, you've been married four times, you're living with number five, get out of my face. It was exactly the opposite. There is therefore now no condemnation to anybody in here that quit their marriage. Did you hear me? You're in the house of the Lord now because you love Jesus. He'll take you from here forward without any condemnation. There is a price to pay, of course. There are consequences, of course, but they're inconsequential to how much Jesus loves you. 
Really, he can make those almost inconsequential as you dive into the Lord. If you delight yourself now in the Lord, he will give you the desires of your heart. But those of you that are in a marriage now, I especially feel a word for, for some of you. The enemy would want you to look back with regret on your choice. The enemy would want you to look back with doubt about your choice. I know that in almost every marriage, one or both spouses will say, did I make the right choice? I look back, I was young, I was hot to trot, I had more flesh than I had spirit. I, she was just so cute, I couldn't, he was just so cute. I just married him because he was a hot one, you know. Oh, I should have been more spiritual about it. I should have asked my parents and my pastor. Nobody really does that. You should. The three Ps. Check with your parents, your pastor, and your peers on whether this guy or gal is worth investing your life in. They'll have a really good feedback for you. If you're 15, every one of them should say, no, stay away from it. If you're 31, go for it. You know, anything in between, check with parents. Parents, pastors, and peers vet your spouse really good as a rule. But let's say you didn't do that. And now you are down the road and the race is getting hard. And you realize on the honeymoon it was a sprint, but now you're into the marathon mode. I feel a word of the Lord for you. It's a very spiritual word. The enemy wants to tell you you made a big mistake you weren't spiritual at the time, you weren't serving God like you should, you had all the wrong reasons to get married, and you shouldn't have married your spouse. And here's the word of the Lord for you. Poppycock. I want you to hear that from this day forward, just poppycock. The Lord has ordained you today to stay married. The Lord says, there is there now no condemnation. His mercies are new every morning. The Lord wants to give you a word that you're with your spouse now in the house of the Lord. Don't you think the Lord wants you to go forward and not backwards? There is no rearview mirror in Jesus. Quit looking in the rearview mirror. Look forward. Take your marriage forward from here. Thus saith the Lord, what God is putting together today, no man can tear apart. From this day forward, settle it in your heart. This is the Lord's will for your life. You've married God's kid. If they're sitting in here in church with you, then you married the right person for sure, doubly sure. And if he or she is home now, you've still married the right person. Because you're in the house of the Lord submitting your life to Jesus. And Jesus can take this and go anywhere he wants with it. Moses stood before God, 80 years old, and God didn't say, Moses, you're a murderer. You ran away from your job. You're a quitter. No, at 80 years old, God said, take off your shoes. You're now on holy ground, and here we go. Get ready to run the race. There was not one peep in God about all the bad things Moses has done to get to that place. Even at 80 years old, God didn't say, man, you've wasted your whole life. No, from 80 to 120, this guy had a radical life because of Jesus. King David tripped out on his marriage, stole another man's wife, committed adultery. She got pregnant with his baby. 
He began the hugest cover-up the government has ever seen before or since and murdered Bathsheba's husband so he wouldn't have to face the disgust of what he'd done. Then he married Bathsheba behind the scenes and now she's having his baby and everything looks great. And God calls him on it and that baby dies. What a huge marriage mistake David and Bathsheba have made. And yet, both of them, I believe, repent. They ask for forgiveness. And they birth the smartest king that ever lived before Jesus. Think about it. God blessed that unholy marriage once they put it under the blood of Jesus, so to speak. And he took them forward and gave them a son, Solomon, who became one of the greatest kings that ever lived. God wants to take your marriage from this day forward. Now finish that race. Don't quit. Now I know there could be individual situations out there. If you have an abusive husband and he's left and it was six months ago, there's all kinds of scenarios that need a divine, holy, specific word for your life. But in general, if you felt the conviction of the Lord while I was speaking to you, don't feel condemnation, but if you felt conviction that God was encouraging you, infirming you, making your regret go away, receive it. Look at this scripture in Timothy as I close. Lori, go ahead and come on up. Second Timothy, think about this with all your marriages, every one of you. I am not ashamed, for I know the kind of God I believe in. And he has persuaded me that he is able to keep whatever marriage I commit to him, so to speak. That marriage now. I want to commit to you, Jesus. And he's able to keep whatever I commit to him. Look at the Message Bible. I don't want any of you to have regrets today. In Jesus' name, right now. Why? I couldn't be more sure of my ground. The one I've trusted in can take care of what he's trusted me to do right to the end. Where you're at right now is what God's concerned about. And he wants to take you forward from here. Amen? No rearview mirrors. From here on out, you have confidence. Be persuaded that God's able to keep your marriage. You just keep committing your marriage to him, committing your heart to him, keep committing your spouse to him. And I need to tell you, a servant leader doesn't give 50-50 to the marriage. Amen? Everybody in a marriage giving 100%, it's going to be fine. So right now, in Jesus' name, I just pray for every marriage that's here, every relationship that's here, that God will make you a servant leader and put on a robe of service. You will serve this marriage 100%. You'll pray that your spouse will serve it 100%. But as for you, you will do what God's asking you to do. Heavenly Father, right now, I pray this scripture over their life that we would have no regrets and that we couldn't be more sure of you, Lord, because we know who you are. And we trust in you, Father, that you're able to keep our marriage as we commit it to you in Jesus' name. And Father, for those of, that the enemy would want to condemn because they've, in a sense, failed or quit the marriage, I speak love into their life right now and forgiveness and righteousness and peace and joy. That, Father, you will clean them and cleanse them and forgive them and that they'll sense and know Father not that just that they'll be forgiven but they'll sense and know 
you have not disqualified them from committing their life to you and moving forward in the most beautiful way. Father, you are the great redeemer. The whole Bible is about the story of reconciliation, restoration, redemption, disaster turning into victory in Jesus' name. Turn lives today, Father, from heartache, hardship, and hard loss into victorious, overcoming, joyful, living for Jesus. Let the Lord minister to you today, wherever you're at. Let him touch your heart. I wonder if you'd just do me a favor and place your hand on your hearts. Heavenly Father, your desire today is to heal hearts, restore what the enemy has stolen, redeem the lost, restore the joy of salvation. to take the spirit of heaviness and to give us a garment of praise. Thank you, Jesus, for your redemptive power, for the healing virtue in our relationships, God, for forgiveness to flow, love and mercy. If some of you are here and you're hurting because of a former spouse, I'm just gonna pray healing power over you that Jesus will become your new spouse in a sense of restoration, affirmation, that you'll be able to forgive and move on, that you won't count the loss, but you'll count the gain that's waiting before you as you commit your life to Jesus in his precious name. Receive his love today. Receive his forgiveness. Drink of his water and you'll never thirst again in Jesus' name. Could you stand with us as Lori leads us and Tony dismisses us this morning? I love you, Lord.